On this week's episode of Ride the Lightning, the Tesla unofficial podcast, Tesla holds their quarterly earnings call for another record quarter in Q2, and I've got all of the highlights from Elon Musk and the Tesla executive team, plus analysis on the incredible numbers that Tesla reported, and much more. What's happening, friends? Alongside Daisy, the sleeping boxer, I'm Ryan McCaffrey. This is the palindromatic episode 313 of Ride the Lightning, your weekly Tesla unofficial podcast for August 1st, 2021. Now, August 1st means that this is this episode is officially the six-year anniversary of this podcast, which uh, just is, is crazy to me. I mean, it's been both a long time, not in a bad way, but also just the blink of an eye too, just an absolute snap of the, like a Thanos snap, and there it goes, six years. But it's been awesome, 313 episodes in those six years. I've just had a great time doing this. I talked about it, uh, I think maybe on the end of the Patreon bonus mini episode that is uploading today as well, that I recorded earlier. And it just, it's, I'm having more fun than ever with this. And I feel like I'm just getting started. So whether you've been listening for one episode or 313, I want to say thank you for your time. Thank you for your attention. It does mean a lot. And I will just take this quick opportunity to say, hey, six years, long time. If you have been enjoying the podcast, maybe take this opportunity to say, you know what? Boy, six year anniversary. Maybe I will join you on Patreon, Ryan. Maybe I will back you here. So uh, I won't give a super long plug. I always do that at the end of the episode. But Patreon is the primary way that you can support me on the podcast. It's, of course, totally voluntary. The show is still going to come out every Sunday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific. But if you are willing and able to support me, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, maybe at some point soon, I'd sincerely appreciate it. You can find all the information about it on my Patreon page, which is located at patreon.com slash Tesla podcast. Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Now, I'm actually recording this on Tuesday night, which I think is the earliest I've ever recorded a regular weekly show that has that week's current topics on it. Uh, So I want to say first, the usual caveat applies here. If any monster bombshell follow-ups happen later in the week prior to Sunday, when most of you will hear this, I do apologize, but on the flip side, I feel comfortable moving ahead because I've got plenty for you on this week's show coming up in just a moment, and the reason I'm recording so early is A, to get the big quarterly earnings call recap episode out early to those of you kind enough to back me on Patreon. Uh, Now that Tesla's doing these on Mondays, allowing me to get it done earlier in the week, and B, because I have a vacation show for you for next week. I'm going out of town with my family and I've got a, a regular, I've got a show for you next week, episode 314, pardon me. It's all prepped and ready to go. I hope you enjoy it. It's a, it's a long form interview with somebody in the Tesla community that I hope you'll enjoy. And I will be back the following week with the usual, you know, quote unquote, live weekly show That'll be, so 3.15, be back to normal, but 
getting this one out early to the Patreon backers covering the earnings call. 314 next week is uh, is primarily an interview with, uh, that's, you know, it's no, never been heard before. It's new content to all of you. So I hope you'll enjoy that and you don't mind that I step away and take a little time with my family. I was actually thinking about this. I, I have not taken any kind of break from this podcast for exactly two years. Because, you know, I've, if you've been listening for a while, you know I've done vacation shows before where I, I put together something ahead of time and schedule it and get it posted at the same time so that you are getting some kind of Ride the Lightning content, even if I'm away with my family. But because of the pandemic, I have not done that in two years. So it's been two years straight and uh, it's going to be nice to just step away. But again, I've got you covered. I've got you covered. Every every Sunday, there will be an episode. I promise you that. Uh, real quick uh, PSA before I get rolling. Alexander from Idaho, who called in a couple of shows back about trying to get a service center in your area. If you would mind, wouldn't mind emailing me, Alexander, teslapodcast at gmail.com. It turns out I may be able to connect you with people who can help with what you're trying to do to get a service center going up there at a particular spot. So drop me a line if you can. And just one more thing I promise before I get started. I was just talking last week about factory tours and I wonder if they'll ever, when they'll come back. And I was just saying, hey, if you ever get the chance, please do it because it's really great. Well, it looks like those factory tours are indeed coming back sooner rather than later. Elon says, quote, probably a few months on that. So hopefully... And I'm, I'm, I'm respectfully and politely factoring in Elon time here. That means by the start of the next year, by the start of 2022, hopefully factory tours will be back. Now, I'm not trying to take a dig at Elon and, oh, if he says this, it it's really means this much later. I just honestly think that if he says probably in a few months, I believe that the Q4 crush is going to probably keep them from, from getting that spun up. Because it's clearly not a high-priority thing, right? It's a nice perk that they offer to owners. But I just figure Q4 is going to keep them all so insanely busy, as as always, that it might end up just becoming a Q1 thing. But regardless, it's great news that the tours are coming back. All right, the quarterly earnings call and shareholder letter. Let's get started there. I will start with the shareholder letter, which is released about an hour before the earnings call, hour, hour and a half. Now, as you know from listening to previous episodes of this podcast, it was already a record quarter for production and deliveries. We knew that. Tesla delivering over 206,000 cars in Q2. We also now know it was the company's first ever profitable quarter that excluded ZEV credits, zero emission vehicle credits that they get from other automakers, So just even without those, they still made money. And all in all, it was a company record $1.1 billion profit for the quarter, which just for fun is a 998% boost in that particular department when measuring year over year. So wow, there's not much to say, but wow on that. And really to that, to continue that line of thought, there's really absolutely nothing that any naysayer could possibly poke holes in, 
right there. Now, did the stock go down the next day? You bet it did. It seems like it always goes down. You know, again, I'm not a I'm not a big trader, stock guy, not I'm not that's not my expertise, but you know, the the old saying seemingly goes, it's uh, buy on the rumor. No, s- buy on the news, sell on the rumor, or I may have that backwards. I think it's buy on the news, sell on the rumor, but anyway, <laughs> the stock did manage to dip the next day despite all of that. But regardless, this is just a fantastic achievement, particularly in the face of the constant component shortages with the threat of another component shortage hanging over Tesla's head every day of Q2 and really for the foreseeable future. We're actually going to hear more about that from Elon in the earnings call coming up in a moment. But here is how Tesla opened its shareholder letter. They said, quote, In the second quarter of 2021, we broke new and notable records. We produced and delivered over 200,000 vehicles, achieved an operating margin of 11%, and exceeded $1 billion of gap net income for the first time in our history. Supply chain challenges, in particular global semiconductor shortages and port congestion, continued to be present in Q2. The Tesla team, including supply chain, software development, and our factories worked extremely hard to keep production running as close to full capacity as possible. With global vehicle demand at record levels, component supply will have a strong influence on the rate of our delivery growth for the rest of this year, end quote. Now, here is an example of those supply chain challenges from elsewhere in the letter, quote, Our team has demonstrated an unparalleled ability to react quickly and mitigate disruptions to manufacturing caused by semiconductor shortages. Our electrical and firmware engineering teams remain hard at work designing, developing, and validating 19 new variants of controllers in response to ongoing semiconductor shortages. Now, I know a lot of you out there have been frustrated by the lack of significant software updates this year. And honestly, I wonder if this could be a reason why. I realized that Tesla said they're electrical and firmware engineering teams, so okay, maybe not the electrical, but firmware engineering, I don't know if there's any overlap there with the actual like firmware of the car, software development teams on that. But, but what I do know is that despite Tesla's massive financial success over the past couple of years, they are still a pretty lean and mean company. To my knowledge, they don't have a giant software team that they can just throw at this problem of having to rewrite new firmware to marry new components to the car and get them out the door. So I wonder if a lot of that brain power is having to be focused on the components and rewriting the firmware to to enable compatibility with those components instead of software updates to add new features to our cars? If so, it's obviously understandable. I mean, you you can't finish and deliver cars without Tesla being able to adapt all of these new components that they're sourcing and needing to add into the mix. Now, on the plus side, you certainly don't have to be an optimist to see the incredible upside that Tesla has from a financial perspective over the next year or so. Think about this. They just achieved this $1.1 billion profit with zero Model Xs in the mix, 
virtually zero Model S's, the constraints of the component shortages, and they've done this before their two new factories that, by the way, are each probably around 75% complete or more at this point have opened up. And they've achieved this before the 4680 cells roll into the cars, which will increase Tesla's margin per vehicle and thus their profits. And yes, I'm gonna keep going. And they've achieved this before launching the Cybertruck, a vehicle that is so anticipated, it reportedly has over a million $100 reservations waiting to be converted into full orders. So yeah, this record profit quarter that they just had is, if you ask me, it's only the beginning. It's only the beginning. It's just gonna get better and better and better from here, which as a fan of the company and as an, an owner of one of the cars, it's just awesome. It's just enjoy the ride. I mean, it's it's uh, we get to enjoy that ride as owners and enthusiasts, but it takes a heck of a lot of hard work from the, what are we up to now? 50-something thousand Tesla employees worldwide to make that happen. So credit to them. They get 100% of the credit. They are just pulling off incredible things in an industry that is extraordinarily difficult to succeed in. But all right, how about now we just get the not so great news out of the way? And it's this. Remember that report that I gave you last week about the Tesla Semi being just about ready to go into production? Well, scratch that. It has been pushed to 2022. Tesla saying in the shareholder letter, quote, we believe we remain on track to build our first Model Y vehicles in Berlin and Austin in 2021. The pace of the respective production ramps will be influenced by the successful introduction of many new product and manufacturing technologies, ongoing supply chain related challenges, and regional uh, permitting, pardon me, with that latter bit, they're obviously calling out Berlin specifically and the the permit and regional, uh, shall we say, disputes that they have, have, uh, have bogged that project down a little bit that have not been the case in Texas. Anyway, getting back to the shareholder letter here, quote, to better focus on these factories and due to the limited availability of battery cells and global supply chain challenges, we have shifted the launch of the, uh, excuse me, the semi-truck program to 2022. We are also making progress on the industrialization of Cybertruck, which is currently planned for Austin production subsequent to Model Y, end quote. Now, a couple of things here. One, I'm unfortunately, I can hear some hearts breaking out there in my audience from those of you with Cybertruck reservations. The Cybertruck is now, I, this is obviously my opinion, but I'm going to say 99.9% not going to be delivering to anyone this year. I just found it interesting that Tesla wouldn't actually say 2022 for the Cybertruck. I'm guessing that that's because they just know it'll generate bad headlines. They know it. They know how they're covered. They know that... That'll be the takeaway. That'll be the clickbait thing. That'll be the thing that's used against them if they actually come out and say it's you know it's not coming until 2022. So instead, they say, well, Cybertruck's coming after the Model Y, and the Y isn't going to be coming out of Texas until late 2021 at the earliest. So Tesla is just letting us do the math on that. 
And two, I find it interesting uh, in that with the semi, I don't think it's a huge surprise that it's being pushed out to 2022. That beast is going to gobble up a whole lot of 4680 battery cells, which are making progress, but are not quite ready for prime time yet. We're going to hear more about that from Elon and Drew Baglino on the call coming up in a minute as well. Finally, with regard to the shareholder letter, you all know me and how I care about the products first and foremost. That's what this podcast is about. It is not about, uh, it's not an Elon Musk podcast. It's not a financial TSLA Tesla stock podcast. Obviously, I talk about those things. I touch those things. But what I am most interested in as a lifelong car guy are the cars themselves. And so uh, I love seeing Tesla be successful because it validates the great products that they make that I am enthusiastic about, but I'm no expert on the money side. So setting aside the fantastic financials for this quarter, it's this section of the shareholder letter that was, to me, the biggest piece of news out of all of this, out of the shareholder letter and out of the earnings call. Tesla writing, quote, we have successfully validated performance and lifetime of our 4680 cells produced at our Cato facility in California. We are nearing the end of manufacturing validation at Cato. Field quality and yield are at viable levels, and our focus is now on improving the 10% of manufacturing processes that currently bottleneck production output. While substantial progress has been made, we still have work ahead of us before architecture with a single-piece front casting, uh, excuse me, structural pack architecture with a single-piece front casting has been successful. So, translation there. They are really close on the 4680s and the structural battery pack, but here we are in late July, the very end of July, beginning of August, and Tesla's not there quite yet. That is both, to me, encouraging and also discouraging. It's encouraging to me that they're almost there, that they're this close, but certainly I can't help but be a little discouraged that they're not quite there yet. And again, we're going to hear more about this on the call. And so with that, let's get to the highlights from Tesla's Q2 earnings call. As usual, we start with Elon's opening statement. This is nine minutes long. Enjoy. So to recap, Q2 2021 was a record quarter on many levels. We achieved record production deliveries and surpassed over a billion dollars in gap net income for the first time in Tesla history. I'd really like to congratulate everyone at Tesla for an amazing job. This is really an incredible milestone. Um, it also seems that public sentiment towards EVs is at an inflection point. And uh, at this point, I think almost everyone agrees that uh, electric vehicles are the only way forward. Um, regarding supply chain, while we're making cars at full speed, the global chip shortage situation remains quite serious. Uh, for the rest of this year, our growth rate will be determined by the, the slowest part in our supply chain, which uh, is a, a, there's, there are a wide range of chips that are at various times the slowest part in the supply chain. I mean, it's worth noting that if we had Everything else, if we had uh, vast numbers of vehicles and cells, uh, we, we would not be able to make make them. Uh, if everything except the chips, we wouldn't be able to make them. 
the, the chip, chip supply is fundamentally um, the governing factor on our uh, output. Um, it is difficult for us to say how long this will last because uh, we, we don't have, it's, 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 this, is, this is out of our control, essentially. Um, it, does, it does seem like it's getting better, um, but uh, it's hard to predict. Um, so, uh, in, in fact, even achieving the output that we did achieve was uh, only due to an immense effort from people within Tesla. Um, we uh, were able to substitute al alternative uh, chips and then uh, write the firmware uh, in a matter of weeks. It's not just a matter of swapping out a chip. You also have to rewrite the software. So um, it was uh, an incredibly intense effort of uh, finding new chips, writing new firmware, integrating with the vehicle, and, and testing in order to maintain uh, production. And, um, and I'd also like to thank our suppliers who worked with us. Uh, and uh, there have been many calls you know, midnight, 1 a.m., just uh, with, with suppliers uh, in resolving a lot of the uh, shortages. So uh, thanks very much to our suppliers. Um, let's see, in terms of FSD subscription, we were able to launch uh, full self-driving subscription um, last month. And um, we, we expect it to, to build slowly, and, and then, but then gather a lot of momentum over time. Um, Obviously, we need to have the full self-driving build uh, widely available for it really to take off at uh, a high rate, and um, making a lot of progress there. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I think FSD subscription will be a significant factor probably next year. Um, with regard to Giga Texas and Giga Berlin. Uh, we're actually doing this earnings call from Giga Texas, so we're in the factory right now doing this earnings call. This earnings call. Um, and the, the team has made incredible progress here. You can see the, the pictures online, and I uh, see that there's basically nothing a year ago, and, uh, and there's the, you know, a large, a mostly complete large factory <laughs> a year later. Um, so it's really, really great work by the Giga Texas team. Um, and, uh, and then also great, great work uh, in Berlin, uh, Brandenburg, uh, with the, the team there. So um, we expect uh, to be producing um, the sort of new, new design of the Model Y in both factories in limited production uh, later this year. Um, it, it's always like it, it's not it, it's hard to sort of explain to people who have not been through the agony of a manufacturing ramp. Um, like, why can't you just turn it on and make, uh, you know, 5,000 a week? Uh, this is, it is so hard to, to do manufacturing. It is so hard to do production. Uh, to first approximation, there are 10,000 unique parts and processes that have to work. And the rate of growth of production goes as fast as the least lucky um, and, and dumbest of those 10,000 things. Um, and a bunch of them are not even in our control. So it's like, um, it's, it's, it's insanely difficult. Uh, I'm fond of saying that prototypes are easy and production is hard. Um, and arguably the, the, the really remarkable thing that Tesla has done is not, not to make an electric car or to be a, a car startup because there have been hundreds 
of car startups uh, in the United States uh, and outside the United States. Uh, so the thing that's remarkable is that Tesla didn't go bankrupt in, in reaching volume production. That's the amazing part, because everyone else did. Um, because they all thought the prototype or the idea was the, the, the hard part, and it is not. It is trivial by comparison with actual production. So um, it's always worth noting um, that uh, of, of all the American car companies, there are only two that have not gone bankrupt, and that is Ford and Tesla. So, you know, um, the seeds of defeat are sown on the day of victory, and we must be careful that we do not do that. They're often, if you look at the, if you look at the, look at history, so often uh, the seeds of defeat are sown on the day of victory. We will endeavor not to make that the case at Tesla. So, let's see, the, the model lines in Texas and made in Texas and um, Berlin will be, will look very much like the model lines we currently make, but the, there are substantial improvements in the uh, difficulty of manufacturing. Um, so, for example, the model Y uh, made here and in Berlin will have a cast front body and a cast rear body, um, whereas the one in, in California has a cast rear body but not a cast front body. Um, we're also aiming to do a structural pack with 4680s cells, um, which is a mass reduction and a cost reduction. And um, But we're not counting on that as the only way to make things work. We have a sort of a backup plan with um, non-structural non -structural pack and um, 2170s, essentially. So, uh, but at scale production, we obviously want to be using 4680s and uh, structural pack. Uh, from a physics standpoint, this is the best architecture, and from an economic standpoint, it is the lowest cost way to go. So the lightest, lowest cost. Um, but there's a lot of new technology there, so it is difficult to predict with precision um, when does it work and when do you reach scale, scale production. Um, and Drew's gonna talk a bit more about the 4680 production. Um, yeah, so uh, we are making great progress on the 4680 cells, um, but but there are there is a tremendous amount of innovation that we're packing into into that 4680 cell, and so uh, it's not simply um, a, a sort of minor improvement on state of the art. Uh, there are, and we went through this on the battery cell day, um, really dozens of you know half a dozen major improvements and dozens of of small improvements. Um, so I think it will be great, um, but it's difficult to say when the last of the of, of the technical challenges will be solved. Um, so in conclusion, our team continues to make huge efforts to make our factories run at full speed, which is very difficult. Um, we have had some uh, factory shutdowns due to uh, part shortages, uh, and we hope those will be uh, relieved in the, in the coming weeks and months. Um, and uh, we're making great progress on full self-driving. Um, some of the progress is not easy to see because it's at a sort of foundational software level. Um, and so then it ends up being sort of a two steps forward, one step back situation. Um, and, uh, but over time, if you do two steps forward, one step back and keep going, you do move forward. Um, so uh, 
I'm, I'm highly confident that uh, the cars um, will be capable of full self-driving. Um, if they have a full self-driving computer and uh, the cameras, um, I'm confident that they will be able to drive themselves with a safety level substantially greater than that of the average person. Um, once again, thanks to all of our employees who are making this a, a breakthrough year for Tesla and an incredible quarter. Thanks, guys. To me, the big news out of that was that Tesla has a plan B for Giga Texas and Giga Berlin if the structural battery pack and 4680s aren't ready to go when the factories are ready to open. So they will make Model Y 1.0s, the same thing that they're making now, with the existing 2170 batteries if they need to. Now, I suppose I shouldn't be surprised by that, but I'll admit, for whatever reason, I kind of am. And I think it's because when I think about it, I mean, again, I'm no manufacturing expert, but it can't be trivial to switch the production line over to the front and rear single castings, the structural pack, and the 4680 cells after they've gotten those factories started on the 2170s. So that's that's not going to be a simple thing to just flip a switch and start making the Model Y 2.0, but I suppose the alternative is for them to have factories that are ready to go and produce nothing, which makes them zero money and in fact just costs them money. So I, I suppose making the Model Y that they can make is, is, is the uh, preferred alternative there. Also, by the way, is it just me or does Elon not sound particularly enthusiastic on this call so far, despite a record quarter by literally every metric? Like maybe he's stressed out. I mean, I could be reaching for this, but just keep that thought in the back of your mind as I play you more and more of these clips, because there's more anecdotal evidence that I want to show you, present to you to add on to my probably meaningless theory here, but I mean, I wonder if he's exhausted by the whack-a-mole game that they that they are forced to play with the component shortage situation and having to redo firmware to make things work in the car and or the massive challenge of trying to get to the finish line on the 4680 cells. So let's continue now by hearing about the status of the Cybertruck from Lars Moravi, the vice president of vehicle engineering. A fair warning, this clip is even longer than Elon's opening statement, but there's a lot here, so I think it's worth playing the whole thing. Take a listen. Um, yeah, the Cybertruck is um, currently in its uh, alpha stages. We finished basic engineering architecture of the vehicle. Um, with the Cybertruck, we're redefining how the vehicle is to be made. As Elon said, it carries much of the structural pack and large casting designs of the Model Y being built in Berlin and Austin. Um, obviously, those take priority over the Cybertruck, but we are moving into the um, beta phases of Cybertruck later this year, and um, we'll be looking to ramp that in production in uh, Giga, Texas, after uh, Model Y is up and going. Yeah, it's just worth reemphasizing that, that the, the, extraordinarily difficult, the extraordinary difficulty of, of ramping uh, production of large manufactured items. Um, at the risk of being repetitive, it is it's actually easy to make prototypes or sort of handle small volume production, but uh, anything produced at, at high volume, which is really what's, what's relevant here, is um, it, it's going to move as fast as the slowest of the, say, rough order of magnitude, 10,000 unique parts and processes. 
And so you could have 9,999, <laughs> but just one is missing. Um, I mean, we were missing, for example, like a big struggle this quarter was uh, the, the module that controls the airbags and the seatbelts. <laughs> and obviously, you cannot ship a car without those. Um, and and that, that, uh, that limited our production uh, severely in, uh, worldwide uh, in Shanghai and in Fremont. So uh, it like, wouldn't have mattered if we had like 17 different car models it, uh, because we, they all need the airbag module. <laughs> so it's just irrelevant. Um, so the, in, in order for Cybertruck and semi to scale to volume that's meaningful for customer deliveries, uh, we, we've got to solve um, the, the chip shortage uh, or you know, working with our suppliers. People sometimes say, "Why don't you just build a chip fab?" Okay, well, okay, that would take us, you know, even moving like like lightning, 12 to 18 months. Um, so it's not like yeah, you can just whip up a chip fab. This <laughs> is like, yeah, I'll just make a quick chip fab. Um, so um, you know, some of these things are, you know, uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, it is quite a trial dealing with all of the constraints of scaling a large manufactured object. I think it may be the case that Tesla is is scaling. Um, it, it, it is, I think we might be the fastest in history uh, ever for scaling um, a large manufactured object. Um, I think maybe the Model T uh, would have been comparable back in the day, uh, the Ford Model T. Um, uh, and probably the internet knows the answer, but I, I think we may be scaling large manufactured objects at the, at the fastest rate in history, or, or I'd like to know who did, did it faster <laughs> so we can learn from them. Um, so it's worth just noting that, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it's not bad. Um, so, um, yeah, so the Cybertruck and Semi, actually both are heavy users of, of, of cell capacity. So. We've got to make sure we have the cell capacity uh, for those two vehicles, or it's, it's kind of pointless. We can make a small number of, of, of vehicles, um, but the, the, the effect of cost, if you make a small number of vehicles, is, is insane. Like, they would literally cost, uh, you know, a million dollars a piece <laughs> or more. <laughs> and, and there's a reason why you do things in volume production, uh, which is to get the economies of scale that get the cost down. Um, so, uh, but we are, we are looking at a pretty massive increase in cell availability next year. Um, but it's not like in January one. It's it's it comes through through uh, you know it ramps up through the course of next year. Um, but uh, even without Tesla, Tesla's into. Okay. Um, uh, even without. Um, Tesla cell production, uh, we believe our suppliers will be able to deliver about twice as much cell output in next year as this year. Uh, Andrew, do you want to talk more about that? Uh, yeah, given concerns over cells bottlenecking growth, our target is to grow cell supply ahead of the 50% year-on-year year growth targets of the vehicle business and also enable increased energy storage deployments. Yeah. Um, so yeah, our cell suppliers are tracking to double their production in 2022. Yeah, and it, um, it's, it's worth noting like if you have a target of, of a certain number, that doesn't mean it's, it it happens like as sure as night follows day. 
it, it's a target. Uh, so if there is some calamity in the, in the world that interrupts the supply chain, then it will be less. Um, but uh, the, the contracts that we have with sales suppliers call for roughly a doubling of sell, uh, of sales supply to Tesla in 2022. Um, and we have to juggle these uh, exponential, there's a whole bunch of exponential graphs sort of overlaid on top of each other. Um, and small changes in where, where you are on the x-axis of time uh, can quite substantially change the area under the curve. So um, what, we, what we're thinking of doing is like, uh, depending on, it's basically overshooting on cell supply for vehicles, and then uh, as if, if as we have say excess cell supply in one month or another, then then routing that cell output to the mega pack and power wall, um, or by the same token, if you know we're, we're prioritizing vehicle production, um, if there's a if, if there's a shortage of cell output for some reason, then we will throttle down. Megapack and Powerwall production. So it could be something's got to give, basically. Or if there's a disruption to vehicle production, yeah, we have an outlet for the cell capacity. Yes, exactly. It's, uh, um, there's a tremendous amount of inertia in the supply chain. Um, so if we say to a supplier, we want you to double cell output, well, even doing that in a year is very difficult. And then that 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 system has a tremendous amount of momentum. It is like a flotilla of super tankers. Uh, <laughs> it's insane. Speaking of which, from a raw materials perspective, we, we also have long-term contracts to secure our supply chain to also enable this growth. So we're, we're not just looking at the suppliers, but upstream from there. Yeah. Exactly. Which is more flotility. <laughs> yeah, okay. exactly. It, it, as, as mentioned, things will move as fast as the slowest part of the entire supply chain, which goes all the way back to you know, raw materials, mm-hmm. um, you know, lithium and nickel and that kind of thing. Um, and uh, there's sometimes misperception that Tesla uses a lot of cobalt, but we actually don't. Uh, Apple uses, uh, I think, almost 100% cobalt in, in their batteries and cell phones and laptops, uh, but Tesla uses no cobalt in the, um, the iron, iron phosphate packs. And, uh, Almost, almost none in the nickel-based chemistries. So, um, on a weighted average basis, we we might use two percent cobalt compared to say Apple's hundred percent cobalt. Um, anyway, so it's just uh, it's, it's really just not a factor. We, we expect to basically uh, have zero cobalt in the future. So, um, you know, I, I do. If maybe worth I, I think probably there is a long-term shift. Uh, more in the direction of iron-based lithium-ion cells uh, rather than over nickel. Um, as as the energy density of sort of iron, or what's called typically iron phosphate, uh, but you might, you might as well just call it iron, the phosphate is <laughs> taken for granted. Uh, but iron-based cells, lithium-ion cells, and nickel-based lithium-ion cells, um, I think probably we'll see a shift, my guess is probably to two-thirds uh, iron, one-third nickel, or something on that order. Um, and uh, this is actually good because there's um, plenty of iron in the world. There's um, an insane amount of iron. Um, but nickel is, there's much less nickel, and there's way less cobalt. So 
um, it is good for uh, relieving the long-term scaling um, to move to iron-based uh, cells uh, mostly. Um, and I think long-term, uh, possibly all, there's a good chance that all um, stationary storage, uh, that is Powerwall and Megapack, uh, move to iron. This is most likely the case uh, since you do not need to transport it and there's less of volume and batch constraint for stationary storage. So then uh, nickel would be for uh, really for long range uh, road transports, you know, ships and aircraft and that kind of thing. So again, here is Lars saying 2022 for the Cybertruck without actually saying 2022. And by the way, I'm glad that Elon answered the question of what if Tesla just built their own chip fab plant without anyone having to ask it? Because it's a fair question given that Tesla, who, as you know, is so vertically integrated. So we wouldn't put it past them. And his answer makes sense. If it's going to take 12 to 18 months to build their own chip fab, well, this component shortage is probably going to be over or about over by then. Although, if I think a little more about it, it might still be worth looking into as a long-term down-the-road kind of option in case anything like this ever happens again. Also, uh, is it just me or does it sound like the energy side of the business, specifically power walls, are going to take a very distant backseat to automotive for the foreseeable future. Every cell is going into the cars, and if things go really well, they'll kick any excess cells over to the power walls. I mean, I can't blame them, really. The automotive business is growing by leaps and bounds, but it's bound to be a bummer for any of you out there who perhaps are trying to get your hands on a power wall, solar roof, or solar panel combo. I mean, we heard from Tesla battery boss Drew Baglino in there, too, who you may remember as Elon's co-star, if you will, back on Battery Day. Finally, uh, did you catch that bit at the very end about ships and aircraft? Elon followed that up on Twitter later by saying, quote, Ships are probably fine with iron cells, but aircraft need very high energy density for good range. I'm not saying Tesla will do aircraft, we have our hands full with cars and solar battery power generation, just that max energy density is needed for aircraft, end quote. So maybe that'll end up being part of the Tesla master plan part four. And yes, I know that part three doesn't exist yet. That's the joke. Uh, anyway, let's hear next about Tesla's plan to open up the supercharger network to other automakers. Yes, yeah, Currently thinking it's a real simple thing where um, you just download the Tesla app and you go to a supercharger um, and you just indicate uh, which stall you're in. Uh, so you, you plug in uh, your, your car, even if it's not a Tesla, and then you just access the app and say, turn on the stall that I'm in for how much electricity. Um, and this should basically work with, I think, um, almost any manufacturer's cars, um, there, there will be a time constraint. So if the charge rate is, is super slow, then uh, somebody will be charged more because uh, the, the the biggest constraint at the superchargers is time. Not, um, the, you know, how, how occupied is the stall? Um, 
and we'll also be smarter with how, how we charge for uh, electricity at the superchargers. So, you know, rush hour charging will be more expensive than um, off-hours charging because there are times when the superchargers are empty and times when they're jam-packed. And so it makes sense to have some um, time-based uh, uh, discrimination. On yeah, we've yeah. been doing that and it's been working and people yeah. respond and it helps with utilization. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I think we're um, in, in, in Europe and China and most parts of the world. Uh, it's, the, it's the same connector for everyone. Um, so this is a fairly easy thing to do. Uh, develop our own connector, um, which, in my opinion, is actually uh, the best connector. It's, it's small and light. And looks good. It's no standard. So we developed our own connector, um, which, in my opinion, is actually uh, the best connector. It's, it's small and light. And looks good. Um, so the, the, an adapter is needed to work for um, EVs in, in North America. Um, but people can buy this adapter, um, and we uh, anticipate having it available at the superchargers as well uh, if people don't, don't sort of steal them or something. <laughs> we have a good solution to that. Okay. <laughs> um, so, but, but you know, that, that is just a, that's a constraint on the North American thing. Yeah. That's, that's basically a vestige of history. But uh, I think we, we do want to emphasize that it, it is, our goal is to uh, support the advent of sustainable energy. Uh, it is not to create a walled garden um, and use that to bludgeon our competitors, <laughs> which is sometimes used by some companies. <coughs> <laughs> I, I think it's also important to comment that uh, increasing the, the utilization of the network actually reduces our costs, which allows us to um, uh, lower charging prices for all customers, makes the network more profitable, allows us to grow the network faster. So that's a good thing there. Um, and then, and no matter what, we're going to continue to aggressively expand the network capacity, increasing charging speeds, improving the trip planning tools to protect against site congestion using dynamic pricing, as Elon mentioned, yeah. and just continue to focus on minimum wait time for all customers. Yeah, obviously, in order for this to, to be, for the supercharger to be useful to, to other car companies, cars, uh, we need to grow the network uh, faster than we're growing vehicle output, yeah. which is not easy. We're growing vehicle output at a, at a hell of a rate. <laughs> so, Superchargers need to grow faster than vehicle output. So this is a lot of work for the supercharger team, um, but it is only useful in, in the grand scheme of things. Uh, it's only useful to the public if we're able to grow faster than Tesla vehicle output. Uh, so that, that is our goal. Uh, by the way, before I continue, I promise you that those first two clips were the only monstrously long ones. That last one was about little less than four minutes and they're, they're going to be pretty short normal length you know just anywhere from a minute to three minutes from here on out so if, in case you're wondering like oh are there any more like monster clips that i gotta listen to no that's it anyway uh it looks like i was wrong about this just being for norway and sweden like i talked about so i stand corrected there and making owners of other companies evs download the tesla app honestly it's pretty shrewd, although it just makes a lot of practical sense. The shrewdness might just be a, a, a secondhand bonus there. Because it sounds like it's going to function almost identically to how, say, the ChargePoint app does now, if you've ever used that particular third-party charging system in various places. And also, uh, Elon with a little dig at Apple in there as well. But 
The important takeaway from that for me is that Tesla does seem genuinely focused on growing the supercharger network to meet demand. A little statistic hiding, sort of buried in the shareholder letter that backs this up is that Tesla lists supercharging stations as being up 46% year over year. That's pretty darn good. And actual, the total number of supercharger stalls being up 49% year over year. That's impressive growth. And I do hope that Tesla can keep that going. Now, next up, here is a question, as I hinted earlier in the podcast, about 4680 battery cell progress. And here is Elon and the team's response. Um, yeah, I mean, really, this is not, uh, um, we'll definitely make the 4680 uh, reliable enough for vehicles. And we, I think, are at the point where in limited volume, it is reliable enough for vehicles. Yes. Um, the, again, going back to like, you know, limited production is easy or prototype production is easy, but high volume production is hard. Um, there are a number of challenges in, in transitioning from uh, sort of small scale production to a, a large volume production. Um, and, uh, you know, not, not to get too much into the weeds of things, but right now we have a challenge with um, basically the what's called calendaring or, or basically squashing the cathode material to a, a, um, a particular height. So it just goes through these rollers and gets and gets squashed like like pizza dough basically <laughs> uh, and but very hard pizza dough um, and the it, it's causing it's, it's denting the calendar rolls um, this is not something that, that happened when the calendar rolls were smaller <laughs> but it is happening when the calendar rolls were bigger <laughs> so just like uh, we're like okay we weren't expecting that yeah um, it's not. It's not a like science problem. It's an engineering problem. It's yeah, not a question yeah. of if. It's a question of when. And the yeah. team is 100% focused on on resolving these limiting processes as quickly as possible. Exactly. Um, yeah. And on 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 the reliability side, uh, as Elon mentioned, we have successfully validated performance and the lifetime uh, durability of the 4680 cells produced at Cato. Um, and we're continuing ongoing verification of that reliability. We're actually accruing over 1 million equivalent miles on our cells that we produce every month in, in our testing activities. As, you know, the focus on that is, is very clear. We want high-quality cells for, for all of our customers. Um, and yeah, we're just focused on the unlucky limiting steps in the, in the, in the facility. Um, and with the engineers focused on those few steps remaining, we're going to break through as, you know, as fast as possible. Um, meantime, we're, we're you know we have a, a massive amount of equipment um, on order and arriving for the, the high volume uh, cell production uh, in uh, Austin and Berlin. And um, but, but obviously, given what we've learned uh, with the pilot plant, which is in in, um, in Fremont, which is really quite a big plant by by most standards. Um, we will have to modify a bunch of that equipment. So, um, you know, it won't be able to start like immediately. Uh, but it seems like, uh, I mean, Drew, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, we think most likely uh, we will hit an annualized rate uh, of 100 gigawatt hours a year sometime next year. 
We'll have all the equipment installed yeah. to accomplish uh, 100 gigawatt hours, and it's, it's possible yeah. uh, that by the end of the year, we will be at an annualized rate of 100 gigawatt hours by yeah. the end of the year. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, my guess is more likely than not, about 50% of, of reaching 100 gigawatt hours a year by the end of next year on an annualized rate, something like that. Yep. Um, but it could shift by a little bit. So, uh, yeah. But it's like nothing, as Drew mentioned, nothing fundamental. No. Uh, just a lot of work. Yeah, and, and even to the large roller question, Elon, right? Like, on the anode side, the large rollers work great, no concerns. And so we're just learning as we go. Um, and uh, and the, the nice thing about having that facility, you know, on the fast track like we had it and we talked about it at, at Battery Day was really de-risking the, the big factories here. Um, yeah. That's what we've done, um, and we've learned, learned a lot. And uh, with each successive iteration, um, the ramp up and the equipment installation will be faster and more stable. Yeah. Yeah. Just to clarify here, 100 gigawatt hours annualized rate basically means on pace for. It doesn't mean they're going to do 100 gigawatt hours next year. It means that by week 52 of 2022, their goal is to be producing about two gigawatt hours per week. Still, uh, really glad to hear them confidently state that these last steps of production are engineering problems that will be solved. You know, I was talking to my wife about this the other day, I guess it would have been yesterday after the call, and the reality is that the entire ambitious future roadmap of Tesla depends on the viability and success of the 4680 battery cells. All of it. The Cybertruck cannot happen without them. The Model Y will become much more profitable. And by the way, that's Tesla's high volume car. They're looking at doing a million Model Ys per year, at least until the Model 2 or whatever it you know, actually ends up being. The $25,000 car comes around. Then, you know, the, the lower costs of the 4680s, could allow the Model 2, if they use the 4680s in that car, they, they may or may not, but, but that would certainly help enable that price point and enable that car to even get made in the first place. You've got the semi-truck depends on the 4680s. So does the Roadster. I mean, it really is the key to everything. So here's hoping that Tesla cracks it soon, gets that last 10% down. Now, the next bit from Elon here, to me, uh, and I think to everybody, came as a bit of a surprise. Take a listen to this. Um, I would say the last time I'll do earnings calls, but this is the, I, I will no longer be default doing earnings calls. Uh, so uh, obviously I'll do the annual shareholder meeting, but um, I think uh, going forward, I, I will um, most likely not be on earnings calls unless there's something really important that, um, that I need to say. Well, not to look too deep into this because I don't know Elon and I haven't been able to ask him about this directly, but just to kind of hypothesize here, maybe put a little tinfoil hat on, but I wonder if Saturday Night Live was the straw that broke the camel's back for him as far as doing interviews or public appearances. I have listened to enough interviews with current and former cast members of that show and apparently hosting it for the week it's a really, really intense week that culminates in this, what, 90 minutes of live television. 
I mean, I mentioned that when it was first announced that Elon was going to be hosting. I, I at the time, I wondered how the heck he was going to do it while also running SpaceX and Tesla at the same time. So maybe now that he's gone through that experience of hosting SNL and he's got this never ending, I called it, I'm going to repeat what I said earlier, that game of whack-a-mole going on with the global chip and component shortage, along with trying to get the 4680 battery program to the finish line, that maybe he just said, forget it, no more interviews or things like earning calls, uh, earnings calls that take away from his time doing more tangible work. I don't know. That's just me thinking out loud. I may be completely wrong. Now, from a Tesla enthusiast perspective, I'm certainly disappointed that Elon is not planning to be on the earnings calls anymore, at least on a regular basis. And as a person doing a Tesla podcast, I'm really disappointed because Elon, you know, we know he's so honest, he's so unscripted that he usually says something super interesting on these calls, even if it's not like front page news, you know, he doesn't, he's not just following a PR plan. He just says what, he just responds to questions and says what, what is the answer, you know, whether it's, he's honest about what he's saying. And really, I mean, maybe that's part of it. As, as Tesla continues to grow into a bigger and bigger company, maybe Tesla doesn't want Elon on these calls, making too many headlines. But the question is, who is going to field these questions on future earnings calls? I presume it's just going to be a combination of everybody else that we're hearing. Zach Kirkhorn, the CFO, Drew talking about battery stuff, Lars about factory and vehicle production, and may- maybe even Andre Carpathy in there as well for autopilot FSD stuff, maybe. But anyway, uh, getting back to the call, the Cybertruck might not be out this year, but Elon is still very confident about the Cybertruck when it eventually does come out. I think Cybertruck ramp will be difficult because it's such a new architecture. Um, I mean, it's going to be a great product. It might, I think, be our best product ever, uh, but it's, it, there's a, a lot of fundamentally new uh, design ideas in Cybertruck. Nobody's ever really made a car like this before, um, a vehicle like this before. So um, there'll probably be challenges uh, because there's so much uh, unexplored territory. I really, truly cannot wait to see these on the roads. It's just going to be the best. YouTube is going to be blanketed, and social media as well, blanketed in videos of people filming them, filming the Cybertrucks from their car, and while they're walking down the sidewalk, all kinds of stuff. But 2022 it is, as I said. Here's hoping that deliveries will start in Q1 and won't slip too far into the new year. All right, I've got, let's see, one, two, three, four more clips for you to go. Let's uh, let's go next to more subscription services. That was the question that Elon was asked. Yeah, we don't have a lot of ideas on this, um, to be frank. Um, really, uh, full self-driving is the main thing. Um, you know, things are obviously headed towards you know, fully autonomous electric vehicle future. And I think Tesla is well-positioned and, and frankly is, is the leader objectively in, this, in both of those arenas, uh, electrification and autonomy. Um, so 
um, there's always it's always tempting to try to find um, analogies, but but you know with other companies, or whatever. But really, the value of a fully electric uh, autonomous fleet is insanely gigantic, boggles the mind really. So that will be one of the most valuable things that is ever done in the history of civilization. That statement at the end is a big, bold statement, but I don't disagree with them there. If Tesla cracks truly anonymous, sleep in your car self-driving, it really will change the world. It will open up a lot of doors to a lot of people to whom those doors are currently closed. I mean, it's, you know, just the idea of, of making transportation available to pretty much anyone like that is going to be just incredible. And if Tesla happens to be the first to do it, it is going to represent just an untold amount of value for the company. Now, on that note, Elon was asked about the take rate so far for the full self-driving monthly subscription. Here's what he had to say. Yeah, it's not worth commenting on right now. It's not meaningful. Uh, we really need um, full self-driving, at least the, the beta to be in wide, widely available so anyone who wants it can get it. Um, otherwise, it would be pointless to, to read anything into where things are right now. Um, so, yeah. Well, no surprise there. He's too wise to the game now to give numbers because any number he gives would be twisted by those that are looking to smear Tesla. I mean, short of the uptake rate being 100%, there's really nothing for Tesla to gain there by giving that number out. There's only room for them to lose if they were to say anything. All right, up next, some more detail on Tesla's long-term battery chemistry slash cell form factor strategy. Uh, yeah, we, we are, in fact, uh, working with our... Um existing suppliers to produce 4680 uh, format cells. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, this is just a guess right now, um, but, I, you know, I, I see us sort of like consolidating around a 4680 uh, nickel-based structural pack and uh, for long-range vehicles, and then uh, not necessarily a 4680 format, but some other format uh, for uh, iron-based cells, um, and so we, 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 right now we, we kind of have the Baskin Robbins of batteries situation, uh, <laughs> where there's <laughs> we have so many formats and, and so many chemistries uh, that it's uh, like we've got like 36 flavors of a battery at this point. You know, um, this is just this this results in an, an engineering drag coefficient um, where each variant of cell chemistry and format uh, requires uh, a certain amount of engineering to maintain it and troubleshoot, and um, and this uh, inhibits our forward progress. So it is going to be important to consolidate to uh, just maybe ideally two form factors, maybe three, but, but ideally two, um, and um, and then just uh, you know one one nickel chemistry and one iron chemistry, and uh, so. <laughs> Uh, we don't have to, to troubleshoot so many different variants. Yeah, and towards that end, we're, we are engaging with the suppliers that we've had good partnerships with on 4680 designs to enable that simplification. And you know, so so far so good. 
you know, they're working on, um, they're bringing their core competencies to bear on that. We're not mandating like what's going on inside, but, but uh, it, it's been a good, good collaboration. Yeah. Um, you know, and we, we do expect to see, you know, significant increases in supply from our existing suppliers in addition to the, the sales that Tesla is making. So it's, it's both. Um, you know, sometimes I get questions from our sales suppliers of like, are we just going to make all the sales ourselves? And we're like, no, please make as many as you possibly can and supply them to us. Um, we, we have a significant unmet demand uh, in stationary storage. Uh, Megapack is basically sold out through the end of next year, I believe. Yeah. Um, we have a massive backlog in Powerwall demand. The demand of Powerwall versus production is an insane mismatch. Uh, now, part of that problem is also the semiconductor, yeah, the semiconductor issue. Um, so we, we, we use a lot of the same chips in the, in the power wall as we do in the car. So it's like, which one do you want to make, cars or power walls? So we we need to make cars, so therefore power wall production has, has been reduced. Um, uh, but as that semiconductor shortage is alleviated, um, then we can um, massively ramp up power wall production. Um, you know, I think we have a chance of of hitting an annualized rate of, you know, a million units of Powerwall next year, uh, maybe, uh, sort of on the order of 20,000 a week. Um, but again, dependent on cell supply and uh, semiconductors. Um, but in terms of demand, I think there's probably demand for in excess of a million Powerwalls per year. And and and, and a, actually, and just a vast amount of megapacks for utilities. Uh, as the world transitions to a sustainable sustainable energy production, solar and wind are intermittent and by their nature really need battery packs um, in order to provide a steady flow of electricity. Um, and when you look at you know all of the utilities in the world, this is a vast amount of batteries that are needed. Um, that's why, you know, long term we really think, you know, it's sort of Combined Tesla and suppliers need to produce uh, at least a thousand gigawatt hours a year, and maybe two thousand gigawatt hours a year. Some of this was touched on at Battery Day, but this seems to be the latest revision of it. It sounds like the Model Two, again, aka the twenty-five thousand dollar car, will use iron-based packs, as would I presume Model Three, and maybe the Power Walls as well since that was, I think that was brought up by Elon as well for something stationary. But everything else, the Y, the Cybertruck, the S, the X, the Semi, and the Roadster are all going to be or eventually going to be done on the 4680 cells. Of course, the S was going to be transitioning to the 4680s pretty soon with the Plaid Plus, but as we all know, that got canceled. But it sounds like in time, the 18650 cells will finally be retired, at least the form factor, will be retired and they will go to a 4680-based structural pack for the S and the X along with the rest of the long-range lineup there. Now, the final clip I have for you, I have to admit, I had to do a double take when I heard this. It's Zach Kirkhorn and then Elon answering another question about the take rate of FSD. See if the particular thing in question here jumps out at you as well. Yeah, this is Zach here. I mean, I think we're still early in understanding how our 
uh, how FSD subscription will unfold, but a couple of data points here. So uh, we took a look at our backlog to see, you know, of customers in our backlog who have ordered FSD, did they cancel, you know, presumably to go to subscription after they take delivery? And the level of cancellations there was not seeing cannibalization there. It's possible that that changes, but that was also part of our pricing strategy at $99 and $199. Yeah, I mean, we... Also part of our pricing strategy at $99 and $199. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like any given price is going to be wrong, so we'll we'll just adjust it over time um, as as we see, you know, the, the value proposition makes sense to people. So... Um, we're just really, I'm not thinking about this a lot right now, uh, we need to make full self-driving work um, in order for it to be a compelling value proposition. Otherwise, people are, uh, you know, kind of betting on the future. I mean, right, like right now, is it, does it make sense for somebody to do FSD subscription? I think it's debatable, um, but it, um, once we have uh, full self-driving widely deployed, uh, then the value proposition will be clear, and at that point, uh, I think basically everyone will, will use it, uh, or it'll be rare, rare, a rare individual who doesn't. So did Elon really just say it's debatable whether or not it's worth subscribing to FSD right now? I had to listen back to that a second time, but that is indeed what was said. Find me another CEO that would ever be that honest. Now, again, as I've said before, I, for one, appreciate it, even though it sometimes gets him in trouble. But on the whole, I'm very much in both my professional and personal lives. Uh, I'm very much an honesty is the best policy kind of person. And yeah, I think a bit of honesty slipped in here. And as I've said before, Elon is generally, I think, with when ans- with answering these questions, he's a pretty honest guy. But he knows that they have to deliver the City Streets FSD for it to really live up to its asking price. So I am glad that they are focused on that. Also, it sounds like the $200 a month that they landed on isn't set in stone. I mean, no Tesla price on anything ever is, I guess. I'm not sure if that means it would only go up over time or if it's possible that they might adjust it down if the take rate is not high enough once that proper FSD for city streets gets out into the wild. It's one of those where we're just going to have to wait and see, but that is it for another big quarterly earnings call. I genuinely hope that that was not the last time that we hear Elon as the primary speaker on one of these. I suppose we'll find out on the next one, which should probably be in late October. But for now, I'm going to take a super short, quick musical break, and I'll be back with your pro tip of the week and a bit more to wrap up the podcast right after this. Well, the release of this episode not only marks the six-year anniversary of the podcast, But July 29th is the three-year anniversary of my Model 3 delivery. It was a very special day for me. I mean, it really, I'd waited and planned and hoped for years to get to that moment. And uh, I actually, if you're a newer listener that, that hasn't been listening since 2018... I made a bonus episode all about my delivery day. I know it's kind of a little navel-gazing, but if you kind of want to get a little 
peek behind the curtain of, of that day for me and hear my emotions and how that day was for me. It's still there. You can go back and look it up. I think it's just called just maybe look for delivery day or something like that. It's just called bonus episode delivery day, but it has been a great three years in the car. Well worth it. Wouldn't change a thing. Have I had a few little issues? Sure. But that's uh, that's what warranties are for. And it's just been a tremendous car. I've saved. I mean, I haven't actually done the math, but I know that I've saved at least a thousand dollars a year just on fuel, just on fuel alone. And that uh, that's pretty sweet. All right. Uh, Entertainment recommendation of the week. I want to recommend a show on Netflix. You may have seen it, but there are new episodes. A season two, I guess, as as it were, just dropped. It's called The Movies That Made Us. And it's sort of a behind the scenes of some all-time classic movies. There's interviews with cast and crew that are, you know, interviews from now that that are brand new, looking back. And the new season includes a Back to the Future episode, which was really good, and a Jurassic Park episode, two of my personal all-time favorite movies, and they were uh, those episodes were both really fun. It's got a really lighthearted tone. It's edited in a very playful way, narrated in a very playful way. So check that out if you have not already seen that show on Netflix. All right, time for a pro tip of the week. Here's Alex from Winter Garden, Florida. Hi, Ryan. This is Alex from Winter Garden, Florida. Uh, I was just listening to episode 165 and thought I could answer a a caller's question. I don't know if it had ever been answered in a previous episode, but um, either way, I still think a a good pro tip. Um, The caller had asked about when Daisy or their dog was in the back seat and it was triggering the seatbelt warning, uh, how you could avoid that. Well, now anyway, uh, when that seatbelt warning comes up, you can press the red circle and it will turn into a little car seat icon. Uh, and that's what we do with our, our toddler and our son's car seats as well, so it doesn't trigger uh, all the time with their weight in the car. So anyway, I thought that was a good pro tip, uh, even if potentially answering an old caller's question. Thanks again for all that you do, and have a good one. Hey, Alex, thank you very much. I think maybe this one's come up on the podcast before, but again, this is one of those ones that I'm glad I knew and I'm happy to tell others about, even if maybe they've heard it a couple years ago on the podcast before, because this one I need and use all the time whenever I've got Daisy in the back, which is a lot. We, I take her, you know, her cardiologist appointment or to, you know, various little adventures. So that one, it's a big one if you've got dogs, for sure, is, is to tap that screen to get rid of those seatbelt unplugged warnings. All right, if anybody else out there has a pro tip of the week, send it my way. You can send it the same way that you send in phone calls, though I guess I realize on this podcast I didn't give that information because I didn't have time for the Ride the Lightning hotline due to the earnings call recap. So you can either record your call on your smartphone's built-in voice recording software. Please try to keep it to 90 seconds or less. Email that file to me at teslapodcast at gmail.com. Or you can call and leave a message on the Ride the Lightning hotline. It's toll-free. Just call in 1-888-989-8752. Again, that's 1-888-989-TSLA. All right. uh, Let me just mention a few friends of the podcast here that can be friends to you with their excellent products, should you desire them. First up, the snap plate, the front license plate bracket for people that don't like front license plates or just don't want to have to physically stick something 
with automotive adhesive, which is what Tesla includes. That's the front plate mount that they included with your three and Y. So don't use that. Use the snap plate. Get yours at everyamp.com slash RTL. They've got them for all four Tesla models. Meanwhile, abstractocean.com has a warehouse full of fantastic and just a good variety of Tesla aftermarket accessories. Check them out, abstractocean.com, whether you're getting the tempered glass screen protector, the center console wrap, the drop-in cup holder stabilizer, the rear footwell lighting kit, the just interior lighting kit to make a, give a, a brighter accent lighting kit inside the car, which is, uh, which is pretty nice looking too, which you can, by the way, get in different colors. You don't have to do a white light. You can do any other, any color you want. Anyway, coupon code there is RTL podcast. Use that at checkout to get 15% off of your first order. Again, that's abstractocean.com with the coupon code, all one word here, RTL podcast. Immaculate Reflections, find them at irdetailing.com. One of the best detailers you will find in the San Francisco Bay Area. If you are going to be here or your car is going to be here, I guess it doesn't have to be you. You could just send your car. It's not autonomous entirely for that, but you know, maybe you want to ship it in. I, I don't know how nuts you want to get, but however crazy you want to get with it, Jeff at Immaculate Reflections will take wonderful care of your car. Whether you want to do paint protection film, paint correction, ceramic coating, some of the above, all of the above, something else, whatever it is, Jeff will work with you and make it happen, work with your budget. Uh, the website again, irdetailing.com, that's how to get in touch. Mention that you are a listener of Ride the Lightning and you will get a nice little discount. It's actually not little, it's just it's a nice discount on the service that you book with Jeff. PureTesla.com slash RTL. Go there, grab a sentry mode and dash cam kit, one-stop shop. It's just shipped free anywhere in the United States. 49 bucks for the 128 gigabyte kit. $69 if you want to jump up to 256. It's micro SD based. It's better than what comes with your Tesla. What comes with the car is gonna wear out in time because it is. USB flash memory, which is not really designed for the constant reading and writing that the dash cam and sentry mode demand. But the puretesla.com slash RTL kit, that again is micro SD based, it is designed for that. And it works great. I love it in my car. How about Jada? Their family of products, whether it's the Jada wireless charging pad whether it's the USB hub to add more USB ports to your, your Tesla, whether it's the USB hub console, which combines a lot of their products into one, or the Jada tray, which I recently installed in my car. It's a nice little organizer for the center console that just drops right in, no tools required. It can wirelessly charge your smartwatch as well as your Apple AirPods or Pixel Buds. I'm a big fan of that, so check that out too. Whatever you're buying, use the coupon code RTL for a nice discount there. And please use, when you are shopping, use my referral link, please, because full transparency, they'll throw a couple bucks my way if you buy anything through this referral link, which is getjada.com slash R-E-F slash eight, and Jada spelled J-E-D-A. I think I've mentioned it elsewhere in the podcast, but you can email me if you'd like. You can find me at teslapodcast at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram, same handle, 
DMC underscore Ryan. The Instagram account is all Tesla all the time. The Twitter account is mostly video game stuff, though I do talk Tesla on there from time to time. If you are not already following slash subscribing to this podcast, which is totally free, please do so on whatever your favorite podcast delivery service is, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or I'm also on YouTube, just audio only, no video, but if you just like to listen on YouTube, search Ride the Lightning Tesla on YouTube, and you'll find my channel very easily, and you can subscribe there. All right, with that, let me, oh, well, I mentioned the Patreon at the top, so that's fine. I'm not going to do another (laughs) second plug. I won't beat you over the head with it, but I will, before I go, say hi to the Plaid Maximum Plaid and Roadster in Space tier backers. These are the most generous folks out there on my Patreon, and for that, I thank them. The Roadster in Space tier backers, Pete White, Lyle Austin, Steve Radspinner, my friend on Twitter, at Rodam, Fernando Cordero, Lawton from Chicago, Sean Neidig, Scooter Ward, Neil Weaver, Jackson Wallace, and Crafty Geek. Thank you all very much. Meanwhile, the Maximum Plaid crew, Jonathan Wales, Cameron Clark, Daniel Grummer, Seth Capello, Nick and Tony, Tesla Hitchhiker 42, John Schmidt, Stan Roth, Howard Anthony Smith, Charles Galpin, Ryan from Las Vegas, Darren Nickel, Kaz Barnes, Ulrich Lassa, Brett Libano, Patrick Wisneski, Gil Cabrera, Hay Watley, Eric Brown, Mark Eversoll, Todd Badger, Joe Edgel, Kevin Yank, the Tesla Owners Club of San Joaquin Valley, Michael Williams, MT, Will Stedman, Tyler Smith, Mait Suaru, Derek Nesselrote, Justin Perez, Jeremy Harris, Chris Beach, Tom Mills, Alex Brem, and Matt Kalen. Thank you all very much. Now, uh, coming up on Sunday, August uh, 8th. Yes, Sunday, August 8th. That is the next Patreon Google Hangout for the Maximum Plaid and higher tier backers, as well as a one-time invite goes out to anybody who either upgrades an existing pledge or pledges for the first time, just as a, hey, welcome, thank you, come hang out for, for one of the Hangouts. I've been having a ton of fun with those, so the next one is happening on August 8th, and I've already sent out calendar invites and an email about that, so if you are in that group, that uh, you should already have something in your email and calendar, so look for that. I look forward to it. And finally, the Plaid Level supporters, thank you so much to George Cassiopo, David Brander, Alexi Heft, Logan Willis, Jason Chalukas, Tim Hyde, Peter Chalet, Eric Randolph, David Nondahl, Jerry and Mary Smith, Joel Sapp, Dory and Steve Guberman, Jeremy, Tesla owners of Taiwan, Ron Lee, John Cody, Charlie Gillespie, David Perella, Sunil Joseph, Dennis Peake, Stig Mickey Jensen, Jeff Angwin, Chase Cabanillas, The Lydia Family, Michael Regal, Aaron Altschul, Jared Brown, Jerome Strack, Jamie Dalton, Noel and Lucy Murphy, the Tesla Owners East Bay Club, Paul Casarino, Ryan Natchett, Mike and Barbara from Louisville, David J. Howes, Travis Krenzel, Matt Nixon, the Tesla Owners Club of Wisconsin, Jonathan Zelezny, Joshua Walker, and Rick Dean. Thanks to all of you for your continued and very generous support. And here's to the next six years. Six years down, I've got plenty, plenty more left in the tank. I'm just getting warmed up. 
There's a lot of fun left to be had. So many fun and interesting products on the way from Tesla. This company is just starting its its ride into the stratosphere from both a financial and a product perspective. I've uh, it's been a, a blessing for me to own one of a, the Tesla's vehicles for the last now three years, celebrating my three year anniversary, my three year car anniversary, and my six year anniversary of doing this podcast. I've been following the company pretty religiously for longer than that. I mean, that's been 12 years. Actually, yeah, almost exactly 12 years because I, I told my origin story, but it was that it was that DeLorean Club event that we did at Tesla at their original showroom in Menlo Park. That was in August of 09. So now we're into August of 2021, 12 years into my Tesla journey. I'm having a blast. Thanks to all of you for joining me on this journey because it is a fun ride and it's even more fun when we're doing it together, when we're on that ride together. So thank you all so much for your time, your attention, your support for Daisy the Boxer. I'm Ryan McCaffrey. This was Ride the Lightning episode 313. That's a palindrome. Happy electric motoring. And again, that vacation episode coming at you next Sunday at the same usual time. It's already locked and loaded and ready to go. So hope you enjoy that and I'll see you soon. I mean, I think a Tesla is the most fun thing you could possibly buy ever. That's what it's meant to be. Our goal is to make, it's, it's not exactly a car. It's actually a thing to maximize enjoyment. It's maximum fun.